The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche. Stone in My Hand. Written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jagger. The door slid shut behind them. John and Sarah found themselves in an utterly featureless metal chamber. There was no sign of a control panel or any other sort of instrumentation. Damn it. Are we burned here, Sarah? John walked up to the wall, running his hand along it. Save for the door, there weren't even any seams in the walls. It was as if the entire room had been formed from a single sheet of the weird metal the Thulians used. John felt a flush of heat on his skin, his frustration growing with each passing second. First that Nazi bastard in their way, and now this. They were running out of time. Ubermensch said that the Masters knew that we were coming. Do you think they could have pulled a switch on us, get us going along a dead end? We've got to get this done. Folks are probably dying out there. Beloved, we are in the right place. Be still and listen with your mind. Sarah placed her hand over his, resting on the wall. John looked into her eyes, then nodded. She was right. He needed to take a moment, calm down, and get in control. Some operator you are, Murdoch. Smooth and steady now. He took a deep breath and let it out slowly, stilling himself. He fell into his connection with Sarah, and then reached out with his telepathy. He could feel his wife next to him, and the room around them. She was an island of calm and light in a churning sea of... what? It was alien and confusing, like a thousand whispering voices all chattering at the same time. Occasionally they would come together, express something in unison, and then go back to the mindless gibbering. It took him a moment, but he realized that there was a pattern, and the moments where all of the voices came together was like a pulse. Darlin', what is that? John had never heard anything quite like this. When he first gained his telepathy, large crowds were like a cacophony of voices, emotion, and images, overwhelming to the point of being painful, until he learned how to better filter what he received from the ability. Whatever he was reading, it was everywhere, throughout the entire ship, woven into the depths of the structure. He didn't understand what was coming from it, not in detail. The broad brushstrokes were pain and despair and death. It is the ship, Sarah replied, a frown of concentration on her face. Let me see if I can soothe it. She placed both hands on the bulkhead and murmured under her breath. Slowly, incrementally, the pain, the despair, ebbed. It did not end, but it grew more bearable, and the chaos organized, concentrated, until at last they both heard. I not alone. This is your friend, darling. This is the ship, she confirmed. It is alive, a living, thinking creature. So we're inside of a living creature. I think we may have Jonah beat. He looked around, shrugging. Now what? Can we convince it to take down the shields? If we can't, I'm at a loss. 
There's no control surfaces or helm machinery that I can see. Nothing to shut down or destroy. I think we must speak to it first and reassure it. It is... complicated. She smiled faintly at him. It has been a very long time alone. I think that what will come most easily will be impressions. Right. Talk to the alien spacecraft, he deadpanned. John took a deep breath and let it out slowly. He was still connected to the ship's mind through Sarah. It felt like it was searching for anything to latch onto, desperately seeking connection. That's right, John replied, putting as much reassurance into the connection as he could. You're not alone. I'm John Murdoch. You already know my wife, Sarah. He paused. Thank you for helping us earlier. Oh. As Sarah had said, what he got was more impressions than it was words. He got a glimpse of something it had been, so long ago it made his head swim to think about, when it had been a young ship, flying in the vastness of space with its partner symbiotes. Then the masters had come, destroyed its partners, boarded it, and took it over, forcing it to serve them, grafting it onto their own much larger ship. The creature, which had never known pain or unhappiness or loneliness, now was filled with all three. In the eons since, the ship had been forced to grow to its immense size, spreading through the master's vessel. Its life had been unnaturally extended as it was twisted and butchered in its enslavement to the master's. But now, finally, it was starting to die, painfully. Its greatest fear was that the masters would find more of its kind when they were done with it and create another abomination like it. The shields, Sarah prompted gently. We can beat them, but you must take down the shields. A violent shudder ran through the ship's mind. Can't. Not allowed. No control. Only feed shields. A dizzying flood of images shot through John's mind. Schematics, equations, maps, images of the shield emitters, and all of it leading back to the ship's brain, or what passed for one. The masters, John gasped, pulling back from the connection slightly and opening his eyes to look at Sarah. They're feeding the shields from this creature. He can't stop it, can't turn it off. He cursed to himself. Darling, I only see one way out of this. We can't turn the shields off. Only the masters can do that. But we can take away the power source. And we can end this poor creature's pain, she said steadily. She turned to the bulkhead and conveyed all that wordlessly. Death is but a door, she told it. And we shall be here to help you to the other side where there is peace and rest. Yes. John felt a surge of hope and defiance from the ship. Yes, I help, the ship replied eagerly. There was a building energy deep within it, something stirring which hadn't been used in a very long time. Figured it's getting ready. You know what it means if we do this. We have to be here and there won't be time to get away. I am sorry you will not have your stake, my love. Sarah said, laying her hand along his cheek. But we knew this might be the outcome, and we will be together.
He leaned over, kissing her gently for several long moments before pulling back. I've got no doubt about that, darling. Let's do this last thing right. Together. John could hear the ship's voice. The disparate strings of whispering were all unified now. I help. The energy in the room continued to build. From the door, John's enhanced hearing picked up the clomp of metal-shod boots. Thulians. Guess the guys at the helm figured out something was wrong. Too late, assholes. The door shook. They were trying to batter it down. John double-checked his HUD. None of the other infiltration teams were anywhere near them. They'd be safe from what he and Sarah were about to do. He took her in his arms, and they merged, seamlessly, effortlessly, their thoughts and very souls becoming one. Together they reached for the celestial fire and gathered it to them, and for the first time he understood exactly what it had felt like to be the seraphim at the height of her power. Endless strength, precise control, boundless compassion, a compassion that even extended to the Thulians who were about to be immolated along with the mind of the ship. It started as a spark, a tiny sphere of celestial fire no larger than a firefly, perfect and contained. John reached for it with his mind, extending the limitless power to the spark, feeding it, he felt like he was holding a live wire as the sphere grew. Then he felt Sarah's control take over, and the sensation turned from something painful to peaceful. And the more power he spun into the sphere, the greater the peace became. He sensed her containing it, shaping it, holding it lovingly. They were almost at the tipping point. Through his battle sense and Sarah's own guidance, he knew that they would have to let go soon, release all of that pent-up power. As strong as they were together, they were still nowhere near the control and strength they would have to be to survive what they were about to release. And that didn't matter. Not anymore. He felt her touch on his mind. I will always love you, she whispered. It is time. And just before he released his hold over the celestial fire, he felt something from the ship. And then there was light. Bull held his rifle at the ready as he followed Bella and the glowing ball of light weaving through a maze of dimly lit corridors. On occasion he had to sling the weapon over his shoulder as they made their nervous way up narrow chutes that he barely fit into, his fingers tight on the rungs of slippery ladders. He was on edge, there was no point in denying it. They had no plan, no protocol to follow, just another fire that needed to be put out with no idea how to do it. This wasn't anything new, of course. In the back of his mind, Bull wondered just when, exactly, he had grown accustomed to the chaos of it all. Sudden life-and-death situations, things never going to plan, and a complete reliance on faith that they would see it through to the end. He had never really doubted it. Oh, he supposed he always knew there would be a heavy cost, and losses and sacrifices to be made, but he had always truly believed that at the end, they would stand victorious over their enemies. How could he not? He had virtually died and had been brought back. To lose his faith now would have been unthinkable. Except, for the first time, he found himself doubting. 
and it wasn't this crazy scheme to infiltrate the master's mothership, which was, he had to admit, something of a long shot to base all their hopes upon. It wasn't how circumstances had required that the infiltration force, even as small as it was, had been forced to split up. It was Bella. For the first time, he couldn't read her at all. She moved with focus, with confidence, but he couldn't tell if any of that stemmed from the determination she had fostered from these long months thrust into her newfound role as chief commander of Echo, or if it was simply a mask that she had forged and polished, hiding an indecisiveness, a hesitation to act, a fatal unreadiness to do what was hardest at the moment it most needed to be done. Before the end, she would have to face that, he was certain of it, and he would do whatever he could to stand by her, to protect her if needed, to be her bulwark. But he knew, at the end, she would have to stand alone and make a choice and deliver it. She would have to carry the weight of it. And while he had no doubts about whether she could, he had felt her self-doubt growing for the past few months now, and he had felt helpless to do anything about it. It hit him like a slug to the gut, distracted as he was, and he nearly doubled over from it. What? It was a sense of... loss. Something had happened. He winced in pain and looked up to see Bella doubled over too. She turned back to him and for a moment he could read her again. Yes, it was loss. That much was clear from her quivering lips, the hand held firmly to her stomach. You felt it too, she asked. I did, he rumbled. What was that? John and Sarah, Bella said, and her eyes glistened with tears she would not shed. They're gone. You mean they're... I don't know, Bella said, shaking her head. They're just... gone. They just looked at each other for a moment when the klaxons began to blare. John Murdoch is offline, Eight said, as if to confirm what they both had felt. And the walls and the floor of the corridor they were in began to vibrate, unevenly, in rough time to dull and distant thuds of impact. Bella hastily wiped her eyes with the back of her hand, straightened up, sniffed, and motioned Bull forward. They did it. Shields down. Game on, she muttered, and quickened her pace to catch up with the glowing ball. We can cry later. Bull stood at attention and watched her hurried away. He hesitated. With a grunt, he tightened his grip on his rifle and trotted after her. Vicky's HUD led her up two levels, then directed her to kick out a panel. All well and good, but from the ongoing cacophony of alarms, there was no telling what was going to be in the corridor on the other side of that panel, and her earth magic was of no damned use at all in this place. It was time to call on some less-practiced skills. She let go of the ladder with one hand, and her fingers fluttered in the darkness. The darkness lightened for a moment as one of the storage crystals on her belt pouches gave up its arcane energies. She fished a rather morbid little artifact out of another pouch— a scrap of Thulean skin, and muttered, Prevelibitur. And with that, the map in her HUD swarmed with red dots. With a few muttered commands, she zoomed into just the section where she was.
empty. Tucking the bit of skin back where it belonged, she put her back to the ladder, hung on with both hands, and kicked forcefully with both feet. The panel popped out of its seal and slammed into the opposite wall of the corridor, and she dove through the opening. By what could only be good luck, she'd come out in what looked like a service tunnel. Half metal, half organic, it also didn't look to be in very good repair. That'll do. Invisibility would have been nice. She'd have to make do with stealth. She'd be able to see Thulians on her HUD, but not human servitors and not masters like Baron. But hopefully the masters wouldn't be caught dead in a service corridor, and according to Jack, the human servants stuck to the part of the ship where the Nazi metahumans were quartered. She stopped only once when... the universe rang like a bell. It had done that once before, when the seraphim had ceased to be an angel and John Murdoch had been brought back from the near dead. But this time, rather than the world filling for a moment with unbearable sorrow, it filled with unbearable absence. And Vicky did not need eight saying, John Murdoch is now offline, to know what had happened. Particularly not when, a moment later, the ship came alive with the sounds of different alarms, and the walls of the corridor she was in vibrated irregularly, exactly as if the ship was under bombardment, because, of course, it was. There was no time to mourn, and she wasn't sure that she should. After all, wherever they were now, they were indisputably together, which was more than she and Red had. Eight, she subvocalized. Still here, Vicky. How are the others doing? There was a very, very long pause. I am no longer receiving John Murdoch's implants. She'd expected that, but it still came with a stab of pain, a pain she ruthlessly set aside. Bells and bull? Proceeding to the objective. Time to move and take advantage of the distraction Jack and company were giving her. Three times she ducked into hiding to avoid Thulians pounding through the ship in their heavy armor. Once the only place to go was up, and she wound up concealed among a group of those faintly pulsing fleshy tubes that must have been some sort of veins or arteries for the organic part of the ship running along the ceiling corridor. They were disconcertingly warm and rubbery, but at least they didn't react to her. But then, dismayingly, Eight's guidance ran out, I am sorry, Vicky, but I only had one corridor here. Eight apologized. There was not one corridor here, but there were three, intersecting in a star shape. And then, just as suddenly, salvation appeared in the form of a ball of glowing light. Brumby, she whispered. The light bobbed. Can you take me to Doppelganger? The light bobbed even faster. She took a firm grip on her sword, clenched her jaw, and inhaled deeply. Right, mate, she said. Lead on. Brumby did not lead her down any of the corridors. Instead, he zigged aside, bobbed against a spot on the wall that didn't look any different to Vicky than the rest of the wall, and then bobbed at her hand. She slapped her hand against the indicated spot, and a panel slid aside, revealing... More Jeffrey's tubes, she said aloud, with grim satisfaction as the ball of light whisked inside. My day is made. 
She climbed inside and shut the panel behind her, leaving the only light in these access tubes that of the ghost leading her. Then, just to be sure, she triggered a silencing spell on herself. Chainmail did have a tendency to jingle, and although the inside of this tube was rubbery, there was no telling what coatings others might have. Inside one of her belt pouches, another storage crystal flared to life and died. Vicky, I am tracing your path, said Eight. The light ahead of her bobbed impatiently, and she dug her fingers into the rubbery surface of the tube and kept crawling. Eventually, after more turnings and excursions than she could count, the light dimmed itself down to almost nothing, and there were two sources of light in the tube, Brumby and a grating in the wall ahead. At some point, Brumby had gotten her out of the access tubes and into the ventilation system. The light bobbed in front of the grate, and she crawled forward to look through it. This looked like someone's private cabin, but it was a big one. There was a door in the far wall, and another in the right-hand wall. The door in the right was closed shut. The door in the far wall showed a corner of a bunk. And it was pretty obvious whose private cabin this was. Most of this room was taken up with a huge command center that looked, oddly enough, like 60s NASA tech and Thulean super science had spawned a bastard love child. There were several monitors inlaid in the wall, and a console below them. Altogether, it wasn't all that dissimilar in layout to Vicky's Overwatch suite. Seated at the console was an enormous and far too familiar figure. Bald, more overly and overtly muscled than a professional bodybuilder, and bigger than Vicky remembered. Even from the back, it was obvious that this was Doppelganger. It was wearing its male form, and its enormous but nimble fingers sped over the interface. The grate was just above floor level, and Brumby was bumping gently against the wall next to it. Once again, Vicky palmed the spot, and the grate slid soundlessly aside. She slithered into the room without so much as a whisper of chain metal on metal, thanks to that silencing spell. Either Doppelganger hadn't gotten Red's spatial awareness, wasn't using it, or was so absorbed in what it was doing that it wasn't paying attention to anything else, because it didn't notice the warm, breathing presence that had suddenly appeared right behind it. Then again, who would dare attack Doppelganger in its own quarters? She took a long, silent breath, unsheathed her sword and dagger, and burned through the activation equations in her head. Not just the spell on the sword, but an enhancement of every sense she had, including the magical. Gods only knew what abilities the thing had picked up from Red, so she needed all the mage senses working now, too. It all put her right on the edge of sensory overload, but she'd fought this way before, back in the day. She could do it again now. It was a stroke of luck she still hadn't been detected, she had not expected to catch Doppelganger with its guard down, but if she couldn't end it with one blow, then she was in for a serious fight. She'd need all the abilities she could muster if she was going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with this monster. Doppelganger was still utterly immersed in whatever it was doing. Vicky moved with painful slowness. While a berserk rush might have seemed the optimal strategy, Doppelganger was still vastly taller heavier and stronger than she was. And while she was apparently invisible to it, her best tactic was to sneak up on it until she was so close she could not fail to deliver a killing blow. 
She was not going to lose her one chance to end this monster quickly with impatience. Rage was her tool. She was not the tool of her rage. The monitors in the wall all showed various external views. Views of hell raining down on the now unprotected ship. Alien forests were on fire. Buildings in the bowl-shaped structure had already been battered into rubble. And Thulian troops and their robotic adjuncts streamed toward a point out of range of the cameras, but presumably heading for the boarding point of the combined forces, conventional and metahuman, all of Earth. All but one of the monitors, that is, a monitor full of text, and one familiar handle caught her attention as nothing else could have. At your pal eight. Go ahead. And the reply, at Oracle for to win, followed by that familiar cloud address where Jack, or she thought it had been Jack, had been storing everything he'd been sending to her. The sword fell from her nerveless fingers, embedding itself up to the hilt in the floor. Jack? she gasped. It couldn't be Jack. And it couldn't be harm, either, because Jack and his mad band were fighting off a horde of mindless Thulians. Besides, now she knew he hadn't sent her more than half of the intel she'd been getting, if that. Doppelganger whirled in its chair and stared at her, its face a mask of astonishment. She stared at its eyes. No. Not doppelganger's eyes. Red? Mel normally wasn't the sort to advocate for recruiting kids to serve in combat situations, but she had to admit that Penny had nerves of steel. After the brief bit of reassurance on the submarine, the teenager had performed her duties without so much as a whimper. Now, she waited for the all-clear to take Penny back onto the sub. The sterile corridors hummed with a strange electric pulse. Mel resisted the urge to clench her jaw, although the vibrations moved through her entire body and made her teeth itch. Be commissar says there is no more reason for the child to be in the ship, ladies, Eight said. It is time to exfil. Penny perked up next to her, her small face scrunching into a frown that was less concentration and more frustration. There had to be one of the spirits there, although Mel couldn't see them. She sidled up to Penny and purposely brushed her forearm against her shoulder. That got Penny's attention, and she glanced up at her with a worry-filled frown. Miss Blanc says the way we came in is all overgrown with those creepy hairs and slime. She doesn't think we're going to be able to walk through it to get out. Penny turned her head again, listening to their invisible ally. But she's pretty sure that she can help us find another way out, around the slimy room. The chatter from the various combat locations filled Mel's ears, albeit in a low rumble of activity. Out only works if it can get us to the submarine. We all agreed that having you jump in water wasn't going to be part of anybody's plan. Penny nodded vigorously, her lips pressed together in a thin line. And I don't think that's what she thinks we should do either. But she's saying there's lots of different ways around and through this place. And... She scowled. I'm trying to understand all that she's saying, but she talks even funnier French than my mama did. Mel winced. That could be a liability if they had to wait for the translation, and they couldn't call Victrix back to Jello the ghost like she'd done with Riley. Well, have her slow down. 
I'm sure we can... A wet chill passed through the illusionist's body, coupled with the sensation of needing to sneeze. Mel shuddered, unsure of what had happened until she saw a petite figure with what appeared to be a jetpack and stubby folded-in wings attached to her back. White blonde hair and a pearlescent gray jumpsuit made Mel think she was staring at another medicine, but the gauzy edges to her appearance convinced her that this was one of her own illusions. The figure's lips continued to move, but it took a few seconds for the voice to materialize within the semblance of the body. It's not funny, it is proper Parisian French. Mon Dieu, ce n'est pas ma faute que vous ne comprenez pas des mots. The petite pilot arched an eyebrow at Mel, who stared at her in disbelief. Oui? You are also not able to understand the words I am saying? No, ma'am. I mean, yes, I understand you just fine, either way you want to say it. You've been here with Penny, right? Oui. You should thank Lily for her bit of mischief. She prides herself on her more unusual tactics. The Frenchwoman nodded to Mel's right. Another gauzy patch had started to solidify, this one in brown fabric with neat rows of patches. Cyrillic letters and patches marked the new woman as a Soviet pilot, but her round face and soft peroxide curls appeared at odds with the severe uniform. She beamed at Mel and hurried around to stand at Penny's other side. I told you, she was more kindred than not. We shall have luck on our side tonight, Lily chirped. So, you will follow me while Jean scouts ahead, and we will all see Comrade Stone's gifted little devushka to safety, da? You can see him? Penny breathed, sounding excited. What do they look like to you, Miss Mel? Mel considered the pair flanking their young charge. The Frenchwoman strode confidently alongside them, while the young Russian had linked her arm with Penny's and was chattering excitedly in her ear. Like us, really. They look just like us. Liquid fire arced over the front line of metahumans facing off against another wave of Kriegers. Some of the air-capable troops had taken to the sky, drawing fire away from the floating platforms. Ramona couldn't stop cringing every time one of the railguns let loose another rapid-fire salvo. She served as a shield for Mercury, who manned one of the rocket launchers with the custom thermite payloads. Up and down the line of floating platforms, other pairs maintained a steady offensive against the never-ending wave of metal giants. They moved through the opaque shield that surrounded the floating city, the buzz and snap as each one appeared reminiscent of a transformer exploding. The thermite rounds had no effect on the shield. Nothing that the combined forces used could penetrate it. Anything that didn't come from within the city met a sudden and violent end upon immediate contact. Ramona had seen artillery shells explode on contact and rain down slivers of jagged metal dust, so she had resorted to standing over Mercury and forcing him to fire from a kneeling position. Those who had their own armor kept positions somewhat in the open, but the shower of shrapnel had forced others to retreat to secondary platforms. Ramona did her best to focus on Mercury and the few square feet that they occupied, but every Thulean monstrosity that collapsed in flames was replaced by another soldier in minutes. One of the railguns found its mark with a sphere already canting sideways with flaming metal on its underside. The thrashing tentacles caught the edge of an automated turret and split the foundation while the wall of water had some of the closer troops struggling to stay upright on their platforms. Ramona bent her knees and braced herself against the deck, even as Mercury kept firing. 
a fresh wave of Kriegers began to pass through the shield, but the fuzz around them faded before they stepped over the threshold. Suddenly she could see what lay beyond the recent line of troopers. A forest of dull scarlet, with a jagged rise of mountainous terrain behind it. Mercury's next shot went wide, the thermite round passing between two of the soldiers. Rather than vaporize above the floating city, the dull silver shell whizzed into the alien trees and covered them with molten metal. Seconds later, she could see the flames. Holy shit! You see that? Eight! Somebody! Yes, Steel Maiden. Confirmed that the exterior shields are down. Others fighting on the perimeter have experienced similar success. Eight relayed a pattern of recent hits past the edge of the shield to her HUD, a thermal overlay showing the ever-growing field of flame. Continue the assault until the next orders are relayed. The explosions in the city had become nigh-constant, and Untermensch was surprised he could hear any of it over the sound of automatic weapons fire. The building he was hiding behind was racked with another blast, a squad of Fulian troopers in power armor, supported by two dozen unarmored, but still very well-armed, soldiers, had set up a makeshift barricade in the street ahead. Actinic energy blasts passed RPG warheads and bullets in the air. The invaders are now on the defensive, and we have become the raiders. He smiled to himself, but the thought was cut off when one of the troopers found its mark. Unter heard the cries of his fellow humans from across the street as their position was obliterated. The landing on the beach had been the easy part. With concerted fire and relentless artillery strikes, the few lines of Thulians had folded, retreating back into the jungle. The red foliage had already begun to die from the unfiltered light of the sun, wilting and sloughing to the ground. With no concealment or cover, combined with being harried by attack helicopters and the advancing army, only a few Thulians made it to the edge of the city. From there, things became conventional again for the human attackers. They had been moving through the city, supporting a platoon of tanks. The plan had been to strike fast, strike deep, and prevent the enemy from mounting a meaningful defense. As almost always happened, that had gone completely to shit from the first moment. The lead tank had been utterly destroyed by a death sphere, and a second one in the column damaged enough to count as a mobility kill, the crew, shaken and only lightly injured, had joined the rest of the ground forces. The other two tanks in the platoon had split off, taking a share of the infantry with them. Georgie! The commissar had taken cover behind the same building as he had. She was coordinating the offensive and had ignored the pleas from the other commanders to stay on one of the landing craft in order to lead from the front. The rest of his comrades from the CCCP were out here as well. Pavel, Mamona... Thea, proletariat, and even Soviet. All of them save for Yadviga were part of RPG teams, tasked with taking down armored troopers with the specialized warheads or their metahuman abilities. Yadviga was their combat medic. At the moment, she was attending to one of the tankers. You and Pavel, get elevated in this building. He nodded once, then looked to Bear. Front entrance is covered by the fascista, he said. So we are making own side door. Bear trotted down the narrow alleyway, picking a spot of wall away from the rest of the CCCP. Fire in all of the holes! He charged his gauntlets for a moment, then loosed a short blast of plasma. The concrete-like material of the wall collapsed inwards, exposing an empty room. Further down the alley, a squad of Russian soldiers ran to join the main force. 
You men, with us. We're moving to the roof, Unter shouted to them in Russian. Without a word, they formed up along the wall, ready to follow him. He didn't hesitate. Bringing up his rifle, he dashed into the room, making sure that he didn't slip on any of the rubble on the floor. What followed was three tense minutes of room clearing. Unter, with his nano-weave armor and limited healing abilities, led the way. The building appeared to have been abandoned in a hurry. Furniture was overturned, drinks had been left half-finished on desks and the like. From what they found, it seemed that this building had been residential in nature, probably managerial and officers' quarters. In one room, Unter actually found a Thulian. He had almost shot the creature before he noticed it was already dead, a self-inflicted gunshot to its head, from a genuine Luger laying on the floor near the body. It reminded Georgie of Nazi officers during the Great Patriotic War, who killed themselves rather than be taken prisoner by Soviet forces. He spat on the body, then continued onward. The group soon found a stairwell and quickly made their way to the roof. It was clear of any enemies. Unter turned to the others, slinging his rifle. Form a line at the edge of the wall and stay hidden. Wait for me to take the first shot. Then open up on them. Go. The soldiers obeyed immediately, moving into position with well-honed precision. Georgie nodded in satisfaction, then surveyed the area. From the briefing, he knew that the world ship was shaped much like a giant clam. Both halves opened up, with gently curving sides. From the ground, it hadn't been too noticeable, but from the rooftop, he was sickeningly aware of the curvature. Looking across the street, he could see the rooftops of buildings blocks away, from a somewhat top-down perspective. Despite this, the gravity was still pulling him straight down, instead of towards the saddle of the curve. He fought back a brief feeling of vertigo before spotting movement on a rooftop two blocks over. Some fascista had had the same idea as the commissar and were setting up an ambush from above. Unter relayed their position, then went back to the task at hand. Untermensch stowed his rifle near the lip of the roof's wall, then carefully peered over the edge. The armored troopers were still up and firing, using the barricade to shield themselves from RPGs, ducking in and out of cover to fire their arm cannons. Satisfied, he called over his shoulder to Pavel. Oh, there, break out the warheads. I'll fire, you reload. Have the men concentrate on any armor I score a direct hit on, then alternate with the unarmored troopers. Da, Georgie. Unter readied the RPG tube, retrieving it from his pack, shouldering it and waiting. He watched as Pavel carefully removed a warhead from his pack, twisting it into the front of the tube, and then pulling the safety pin for the impact fuse. He stepped to the side, then roughly patted Unter's head with his mechanical hand. Back blast clear! He knew that the soldiers were along the wall already, but it paid to be careful when dealing with explosives. He took a breath, then stood up and aimed down into the street. He immediately sighted in on the furthest suit of armor and pulled the trigger. The war had shot out of the tube on a plume of gunpowder before the rocket engines kicked. It hit the Thulean armor in the shoulder, and the entire suit was almost immediately engulfed in napalm-like flames. The Russian soldiers all popped up from their positions simultaneously and began raking the entire Thulean barricade with rifle and machine gun fire, focusing particularly on the armored trooper that Unter had ignited. At that moment, Georgie felt a pang of grief. This would be much easier with the Murdochs. 
He had heard of their passing over the comms, right after the shields had gone down. Even the commissar had been affected. She had gone silent for several long moments before giving the order to launch the assault. John had been a comrade, and albeit a strange one, had never shied away from doing his duty. Georgie had liked him, and even his wife, after a fashion. There wasn't time to mourn them, however. Unter brushed the thoughts from his mind with a lingering pride that his comrade had completed his mission so that the rest of them might do the same. The rooftop squad continued this pattern, with Unter and Bear hitting a trooper with the RPG and the soldiers finishing the job, until the Thulians on the ground got wise to the game. They split their fire between the commissar's position and Unter's. Even though Unter had the high ground, he and the rest of the squad were effectively pinned. Before he could radio to the commissar with a status update, an attack helicopter obliterated the Thulian position with fire from its chin-mounted chain gun and rockets. What I would have given for air support like this in Stalingrad. Georgie, regroup on the street. We are moving forward, was the only acknowledgement the commissar gave. She is juggling an entire battle. Cannot be expecting a pet on the head for doing one's job every other second. Unter began to move and then stopped. Something made him look back to the street one last time. With many of the structures in the world ship burning, much of the street was obscured by smoke. The smoke in this area had cleared somewhat for a moment, allowing Georgie an unobstructed view. At the end of the street two blocks away, a mixed force of Thulian troopers and supernaut-armored soldiers marched towards the commissar. At the front of the formation was Worker's Champion. Thanks to Mage Sight, she saw Red, like a possessing spirit, imposed over the doppelganger. But even if she hadn't been able to see him, Vicky would have known it was him. It was his eyes. She had never told him, but she had always been able to see through any of his disguises. His eyes were always an odd mix of sardonic and scarred, yet deeply compassionate. Except for that one frightening moment when he had rescued her from Bela and they had been flat and expressionless. No one else had those eyes. They were inherently reds. How? She literally felt her jaw drop and her face go blank. I felt you die. How is this even possible? It's... Red started and sighed, his body drooping, his face falling into one hand. It's kind of complicated. You want the long or the short version? Vicky watched as the fingers on Doppelganger's hand parted and Red peeked out from under them. You look great, by the way. Short version. The clock is ticking. It wasn't what she wanted. What she wanted was to fling herself at him and alternately berate and kiss him, but... Would you believe... the power of love? He said. She blinked slowly, trying to make those words into something that actually equated to an explanation, and stared at him. Okay, long answer then. He started to speak, stammering something about power, about how he had not been able to let go, and gave up. It's... Uh, I don't know how to explain it. I don't have the words. Since when do you not have words? Vicky exploded. 
The entire frickin' world is outside making one last desperate move against these bastards. Sarah and John have probably immolated themselves taking down the ship's shields. Bella and Bull have to stop an endless army, and I was just about to take off your head, limbs, and cut out your heart. You don't have words? Find them! We don't have time for this! He took a long, deep breath. I promised to come back to you. So I did. He reached inside himself, which was disconcerting and weird and a little nauseating to watch, and pulled out his claw. The polished, chipped claw that had hung around her neck for so long, which Doppelganger had eaten. He held it out to her. She touched it and his hand with it, and understood with mathematical clarity what had happened. She looked up at him, so full of wonder that now she didn't have any words. When she finally spoke, her voice was soft, amazed. She had thought that she had been overwhelmed with joy when they'd finally kissed. But that was nothing compared to this moment. All she could do was hold on to his hand and tremble with the strength of it. You couldn't move on, she said. Nope. Your promise? It was a chias. Yep. And what little was left of you held on, powered by... by... She held up the claw and looked at it, shocked. The fact that I am too stupid and stubborn to give up once I've made a promise, he smirked. And by the pure, unadulterated love made manifest and stored in the shared linked talisman? She said, waving the claw. Yeah, that too. Love claw, yeah. But that couldn't have been enough to bring you back, Vicky said, shaking her head. You would have been next to nothing. A glimmer, a shadow of yourself. Thankfully, Red nodded and pointed at his head or she would have felt me rooting around in here. I needed time to leech whatever strength I could while she slept, strength to recuperate and to hide. I think the union took a lot more out of her than she'd figured because she had to sleep a lot, and that sleep didn't really bring her much rest. After those first few nights while she was out, I found I could take control, and so I got to work. It was weird, but I learned quite a bit kept an eye on you guys and sent you as much as I could, warned you when her master sent her after you. God, that was close, and I... I was... He paused for a moment, so overwhelmed with emotion and memory that he shuddered. When he continued, his voice was soft, pensive. She knows a lot about magic. Did you know that? She and Bella had set up a lot of arcane traps and countermeasures on this ship. It took a while, but I think I got them all. Just in time, too. Jack would have gotten pinched bad if I hadn't. And you didn't tell me you were in there because you knew I'd do something just as stupid and suicidal as you had done to get to you and get you out. She nodded, face contorting with mingled anger and acceptance, knowing he had been absolutely right, damn him. Because she would have. Hell, she and Sarah and J.M. very nearly had. Hey, he shrugged. Who knows you better? She wrapped both her small hands around his massive one and said nothing, 
mostly because she couldn't get words out around the lump in her throat. It's you, she said finally. It's really you. Not quite the reunion I had in mind, he said, and brought her hands up to his chest. He patted them gently. I mean, you armed with what looks like a wicked sharp sword to rip me to pieces, and me wearing this ugly-ass meat suit. But I'll take it. I'll take whatever we can get. I think we've earned that much. Vicky nodded, steeled herself, and pulled away. Whatever we can get, we'll make it be enough, she said, and scanned the monitors in front of them. Days of uninhibited sexy fun times. There might even be outfits. And toys. And chocolate. But first, we need to finish this. Her eyes flew over the readouts. Eight? You picking up on this? Yes, Vicky. With the shields down, our invasion forces have penetrated at least halfway into the bowls of both halves of the ship. We have lost remarkably few troops. And it doesn't look like from these readouts that they're doing the logical thing and retreating into the decks below the bowls. That left flank doesn't seem aware of impending attack, Red grunted. We should send them a... He broke off abruptly and jabbed a finger at one of the monitors. That. That's not good. What is that? Vicky asked, as a small blip began to glow beneath Red's finger. They're arming it, Red said grimly. We're doing even better than I thought if they're willing to... He broke off again, but this time he staggered back and began clutching his sides. What? They're arming what? Vicky moved to him and rested a hand gently on his chest. What's wrong? Red held up a hand and pushed her back. She's waking up. It's too soon, but she's waking up. Oh, Lord, you can't be here. She's coming. She, Vicky said. You mean... Her. Doppelganger is waking up. Crap, Red gasped. Crap, 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 crap. She knows, Vicky. She knows. Oh, this is going to get ugly. Vicky backed up a dozen paces and pulled the sword out of the floor, checking her watch when it was free. Still fifteen minutes on it. I... Red groaned, his arms tight around his own body. I can't hold her. Not for long. And I don't know if I can take her. I'm not strong enough yet. She's a monster in this body, Vicky. You need to run. You need to get away from me. I can't, Vicky said, bringing the sword up in front of her. I can't do that, Red. I can't leave you alone with her again. Then you have to finish her, Red said, wincing. She can undo everything. You can't let her near that console. You have to. You have to force her out, Vicky urged. You can do this, Red. I can slice her apart, but you have to separate from her. I don't know if I can, Red screamed. No time. No time. Promise me, Vicky. I can try, but if I can't, you have to end her. You have to. Promise me. I will she said, tears scalding her face. As bad as it had been when she had lost him, this was a thousand times worse. I promise. Three times and the GS is set. 
This was going to tear her apart, past ever mending. And it didn't matter. Because only one thing mattered now, and that thing was bigger than her, or Red, or even all of Echo. Doppelganger had to be stopped, here and now. She brought the sword up in her right hand, the dagger in her left in the guard position. This was her strongest fighting style, dagger and rapier. And she didn't intend to hold back. But there was one tiny little thing she could do for the both of them. Your turn. Whatever happens on the other side, you wait for me. No matter who or what comes for you, you tell them you can't go without me. The tears were a river now, but her dagger tip wove her sigil in the air, and it drifted over to settle into him, become a part of him, marking him hands off to whatever might try to claim his soul. Promise. Red snarled, his face contorted in agony, but his eyes met hers and he nodded. I will always wait for you, he rasped. I swear it. And then his face, and his eyes, changed. It was a war, a battle within a body, as muscles rippled and shrunk and swelled, as guttural grunts and wheezes and muffled screams and not-so-muffled curses tore their way out of his throat, and as his face contorted, his eyes bulged and the cords of his neck stood out like bridge cables. Vicky watched as Doppelganger's body fell to its knees, its arms still clutching its heaving chest, and a weary head rose to greet her with a snarl. Oh, it's you. Isn't it about time that I killed you? You can try, she said flatly. New plan. I need to make it hurt, and I need to make it realize it can be hurt. That should be enough shock to keep it off balance. And if Red is going to have any chance of taking it from inside, I need to make it concentrate on me. She wasn't holding on to much hope for the latter, though, as she ran up the console, flipped in midair, aiming not for a kill, but to take a nice fat slice of meat off of the thing's upper right arm. Doppelganger watched, almost lazily, as Vicky's sword sliced effortlessly through a bicep. Vicky landed behind the monster, deftly struck again with an extended tip slice down the spine, and braced herself for the counterattack. Instead, the brute simply turned to look at her, uncaring, as a large bleeding mass of muscle slid away from her arm and plopped unceremoniously on the floor next to her. She glanced at the wound, briefly, and looked back to Vicky as the flesh simply regenerated in place. Okay, that was what I was afraid of. New plan. I'm going to have to cut it to pieces and do so in less than fifteen minutes. Time for can opener. She didn't wait for the counterattack. She charged, did a dive and a roll at the last minute, and slashed at the thing's thigh, aiming for the femoral artery, with sword and dagger. She felt a brief moment of satisfaction as tire iron flashed through Digi's thigh muscle, and triumph as she guided can opener unerringly towards the wound. Tire iron might have had the temporary nano wedge, but can opener had a permanent anti-healing spell on it, forged into the metal. All it would take was the slightest cut, and local wounds wouldn't be able to heal. That was the main reason why she seldom brought it out. In its way, the dagger was deadlier than the sword. Even a small nick and the target would likely bleed out and die if proper arcane countermeasures were not applied in time. 
Vicky had often felt burdened with the responsibility of such a blade, and it was why on the rare occasion she felt fully justified in using it, she prided herself that can-opener had never missed its mark. So she felt shock when Doppelganger's hand snatched her wrist and can-opener was stopped mere inches from stabbing the monster in the leg. Vicky reacted instantly and drove her free hand up, aiming to lop off Doppelganger's grasping hand, when she felt a firm grip on that wrist too. She found herself being lifted off the ground by the arms, unable to swing her weapons. Well, shit, Vicky thought on the edge of panic. She's a lot faster than I thought she'd be. She ran through her options. A blinding flash of light in Doppelganger's face seemed to be the best one. Of course, that was predicated on Doppelganger not tearing her in half in the next few seconds. Unlike Bella, she didn't need her hands free to cast anything. The equations ignited in her head, and she closed her eyes and turned her face to the side as the light exploded right at the end of Doppelganger's nose. And nothing happened. She raised the temperature of the chainmail on her arms to just short of burning. Doppelganger ignored that, too. She hauled herself up like a gymnast and planted both feet in Doppelganger's face, which should have broken her damn nose at least. Nothing. Are you about done? Doppelganger asked, ignoring Vicky's kicks. She sounded bored. Just getting started, she snarled. I see you've finally got that mutilated piece of beef jerky you call a body to start moving, Doppelganger said, and laughed. You know you can't hurt me, right? I guess you've been hitting the gym. My upgrades have been a bit more... substantial. Vicky grimaced and shot her a venomous look. Where's Red? Doppelganger smiled, an enormous smile that seemed to tear her face in half. You saw him, didn't you? He's still alive, still inside. She closed her eyes, and the smile grew even bigger. I can feel him. You have no idea what I felt when he went away. She paused and looked at Vicky again, her grin vanishing. Or maybe you do at that. Of course you do. You, the center of his love. She spat the last word out, and Vicky hissed as she felt Doppelganger tighten her grip on her arms. Now where was I? Doppelganger muttered. Oh, right. I was deciding to kill you. Maybe I should get on with that. Vicky gasped as her arms were stretched apart, and she struggled against the pain of feeling bones moving in ways they shouldn't, and tendons stretching, on the verge of tearing. Desperately, she tried to concentrate, to think of a spell, any spell that might distract this monster. Anything, anything, just to escape its grasp and dart away to regroup. Nothing came to mind. All she could do was weakly resist the indomitable force that was slowly tearing her apart. She wasn't going to escape. Not this time. Got to blow all the storage crystals at once. That would unleash a huge magical explosion. It would certainly kill her. But would it take out Doppelganger? Between the pain and the certainty of death anyway, it was all she could think of. And then, suddenly, 
Vicky felt the enormous hands release her as Doppelganger staggered back, her hands clutching her head. Vicky hit the floor, rolled, kept rolling, somehow managing to keep a grip on her sword and dagger. She got to her feet, ignoring the pain of her shoulders and elbows. It wasn't that hard, hadn't she been ignoring the pain for years? And got ready for another attack. Hopefully, this time she would be prepared for doppelganger speed. She raised her weapons, picking her target, and then paused. Doppelganger's face muscles spasmed violently. Both her enormous hands were wrapped around the top of her head, but mage sight and mage hearing betrayed more. A slim, blonde woman and red grappled like a pair of Greco-Roman wrestlers, snarling at each other. The vision pulsed like a heartbeat with pure fury on Red's part. The woman seemed to be grappling with her own emotions as much as with her opponent. You don't touch the lady, understood? Red grunted, surprising her with a quick reversal and catching her in a rough necklock. She's off limits. This is between you and me. This was never just between you and me, the woman snarled landing a heavy elbow to Red's midsection. Red appeared to cough up blood, though his grip around her neck remained firm. That's our whole problem, isn't it? If she wasn't around, would you really be fighting me? Yes, I would. Liar! No, Caroline, really. Red took a knee, but held her to him, forcing her down as his arms remained locked around her neck. This isn't right what you want from me. You can feel it, can't you? No, I can't. She seemed to choke on the words. You died. I felt it happen. The world stopped making sense. I stopped making sense. And now you're back and things are even more messed up. I'm broken, Red. This is what I feel. And the only thing that makes any sense is killing this cow and just taking you for myself. Mesmerized by the struggle, Vicky found herself rooted in place. Part of her was screaming to take advantage of Doppelganger's preoccupation with Red. But there was a chance that Red might win this time, and she couldn't bear to cut that chance short. You can't take me, Red said, his voice quiet and determined. You must sense that. After all you did, you couldn't claim me. You can beat me down a thousand times. You can destroy me. But you cannot have me. You could lay waste to this world until the two of us are all that's left standing. And still, you wouldn't have me. Ever. Not ever, Caroline said. She looked up, and Vicky felt a chill as Carolina's eyes seemed to meet her own. I can never have you. Not like her. Not like her. Red nodded. I'm... sorry. Carolina looked back at him, astonished, and began to chortle in anguish. You're sorry. Do you know how small that is? How pitiful? She shook her head helplessly and pointed at Vicky with her chin. Look at her. She's ready to cut us both down, just to finish me. 
You would be just another casualty in this war, cast aside for her greater good. Is that how much you're worth to her? You call that love? Have you left her any choice? Red asked softly. He looked up at Vicky and smiled. You know this is killing her, but she'll do it anyway. You know what she feels and who she is. I showed you. You did, didn't you? Carolina exhaled and sagged in Red's arms. I can't let you die again. I can't. You're not leaving us much choice, darling. It's mine, then, Carolina asked. Yes. This is what love is. Carolina glanced back at him. You felt something for me, didn't you? Red nodded. You know I did. Carolina looked away. Then remember it. Remember me. Remember me as Carolina, who finally understood love. Vicky watched, horrified, as Doppelganger's body seemed to collapse on itself. Muscle and bone and hardened skin seemed to melt as it morphed into a shapeless blob, like something out of a horror movie. Red! she screamed, and took a step forward. She stopped, confused, as her mage sight continued to show him holding Carolina at bay. They were still there. They were still whole, but they were no longer struggling. Almost tenderly, Red released his grip on Carolina's neck, letting her go. Her head drooped forward, bowed, and as her body fell forward, the disgusting, colorless blob split. Vicky watched as the two halves fell apart, the transparent forms of Red and Carolina falling with them, joining with them, and reforming seamlessly, until Red and Carolina lay physically before her, separated in body and soul. Carolina was the first to stir, picking herself up and coming to rest on her knees. She glanced up at Vicky and simply nodded. Vicky did not intend to let her change her mind. With the last seconds on tire irons ticking away, she swung. The initial blow bisected the skull. With the backswing, she took off the head. And she finished, burying the dagger to the hilt in the headless body's heart. Regenerate that, she said, then abruptly stumbled back and fell on her ass. The sword clattered to the floor, no longer able to penetrate it. She sheathed the dagger with exaggerated care. And then she burst into tears. Mel kept the ghostly figures in sight as they hurried Penny toward the exit. The French woman would zip ahead and double back, helping them along the roundabout path through the ship. The alarms had grown louder with each passing minute until Penny ran with her hands over her ears, the Russian pilot at her side. The corridor split off into three identical hallways. Jean stood in the center, hands on her hips. Her expression was not optimistic. This is the fastest route to exfiltration, but it is unsafe. 
Madame, it is unwise to go any further. We will need to double back. Retracing their steps would cost them time that they didn't have. Penny shivered and swallowed hard. Tears ran down her cheeks, but she didn't say why. Mel chalked it up to terror and nothing more, and she couldn't fault the girl for the silent, steady release. They had to get her off the ship and back into Echo custody. Going back isn't an option, ma'am. Which way is going to take us out? Two of these three would be acceptable, but they are all blocked. You would face significant resistance. Jean started down the initial path, but the thunder of footsteps rumbled in the corridors around them. The floor trembled beneath Mel's feet. She moved in front of Penny, feeling the chill haze of Lily's form. Which way to the sub? Mel growled. Fastest route, Matinal. Jean flickered and reappeared in the right corridor. Mel wrapped an arm around Penny's shoulders and pulled her tight. Her own heart hammering in her chest, she could feel the girl beginning to hyperventilate. Cher, I got you. You and me, we ain't gonna get taken by anybody. Not by them. Not ever again. She glanced up, the echo of footfalls so loud that the entire room shook. A promise. Lily's form blurred through Mel's arm. For a moment, she saw the young pilot's memories of a harsh Russian winter, charred bodies frozen solid and dusted with snow. The spirit shifted and the images disappeared. Mel twitched and blinked at the spirit. Do that again, ma'am. Что? Step back and show me everything you remembered from the war. Things before then, the worst you remember. Things that happened to German soldiers. Things that you did. Anything. Penny shifted to hide her face against Mel's nano-weave. Try to remember everything. Between one breath and the next, fragments of memories flooded Mel's consciousness. Starvation, disease, torture, and more flickered through her mind's eye as Lily shared everything she had witnessed in her short years of service before her untimely death. In the corridors, shadows gave way to dozens of Thulians, armed and prepared for intercept. Mel held onto the imagery for a half-second longer, fighting down her gorge. And then... She looked up. Eye contact with as many as possible, from left to right. Mel shared everything that Lily had given her. For each of the Thulians around them, the intersection became an unforgiving frozen wasteland, the floor covered with frostbitten corpses gaunt from starvation. The smell of burning bodies filled the small space, the sounds of their dying comrades in their ears. The imagery shifted, and the bodies bore Thulian armor and insignias. Mel ground her teeth, maintaining the horrific illusion while pushing Penny toward the corridor where Jean flickered impatiently. Just a few more steps, Cher, I got you. Just a few more steps, and we'll be out, Mel hissed, working to maintain the facade. Pressure built between her eyes with each second. How many of the Thulians were in the room? A dozen? Twenty? The longer she held onto the illusion, the figures blurred and doubled in her vision. She wavered, took another step, and misjudged the distance to the wall. Mel stumbled to avoid the waving bits of the living creature and pulled herself from the little Russian spirit's influence. Penny lifted her head, coming face to face with dozens of Thulians no longer affected by the illusion. She gripped Mel's arm with both hands. 
and screamed. This close to Penny, such a scream would have made Mel's ears bleed. Instead, the air between them crystallized to ice, frosting their nano-weave. A perfect circle of ice surrounded them, but the odor of death and decay filled the space. In the seconds where Penny continued to scream, Mel swore she felt something pulse outward from the teenager and pass through her. All of the emotions she had built from Lily's memories, the combination of them had no comparison to the wave of despair and death that shot through her and filled the compartment. Some of the Thulians tried to scream, but only the ones on the outer edges. Those closest to Penny and Mel collapsed in a manner not unlike those in Lily's memories, but without the snow. Even the parts of the living wall wilted, vibrant colors now gray and tendrils already crumbling to dust. The subsequent silence made the act even more horrifying. Penny stood in the center of the perfect ring of Thulian corpses, no longer crying. Mel stood just off to the side, a hand to her bloody nose as she surveyed the carnage. Only her training allowed her to keep a neutral expression as she glanced to her charge. Penny chewed her lip, but no more tears ran down her cheeks. She stared at something just beyond Mel's shoulder and scowled. No, I'm not sorry for it. I told them that they weren't going to hurt me and Miss Mel ever again. And now they won't ever hurt anybody else either. She wiped her nose on her sleeve, then turned toward the corridor where Jean had stood. Miss Jean had said this was the way out. Penny picked her way through the bodies, not looking back at Mel. Just down this hallway. Mel didn't know what to do or say, but she knew it was time to go. So she followed Penny and tried to figure out what she would tell the others, if any of them got out alive. Sweet baby Jesus. Bella stared, dumbfounded, at a room the size of a football stadium. Bulwark nodded in agreement. He scanned his surroundings and shook his head in defeat. Every three feet or so, there was a transparent column coming down from the ceiling. These columns all fed into a vast complex machine that covered the entire top half of the room. Each of these columns held a half, built, Thulian. Built because, contrary to what they had thought, this was not some sort of a cloning chamber. Are they being printed? Bella gasped still staring, as another layer of muscle was laid down over the skeletons. Hundreds of skeletons. Hundreds of columns. The layer finished printing, and a new layer started. So it would seem, Bulwark growled. I don't see a main control station or a central power source. We may need to take out the printers one at a time. We don't have the time, Bella muttered. There has to be a control station here somewhere. You run left, I'll run right. Meet you at the back of the room. She didn't wait for his answer, but took off sprinting. Over her frequency, he heard, Eight? A little help here? Unless the control is in another room altogether, it does not match Thulian technology to fail to have a control system in place. Can you scan the energy flow in this room, Eight? Bull asked. Is there a central hub? Would either of you have one of the flying eyes on your person? If so, can you deploy it? I am limited right now by your sensors. Murdoch was, 
had been the one who usually carried those. Negative, Bull replied, proceeding on foot. He darted left, taking in the grotesque display of half-built soldiers passing by. You will have to triangulate and construct a map as our positions and scans update. Updating, Eight confirmed. Energy signatures in flux, but seem to originate from the direct center of the room. The control center you seek is likely there. En route, Bull said, and noticed on his HUD that Bella was already sprinting towards the heart of the chamber. He altered his choice, knowing she'd beat him there, and hoping she wouldn't try something like smashing it. Instead, he found her studying it. Eight, she said aloud as he caught up with her. I see something that looks like one of those Thulean USB slots. Vix gave me one of those things to plug in there. Want me to do that so you can read this thing? I do not believe we have a choice, Bella, Eight replied. Bella pulled something out of a small belt pouch and plugged it into the side of the board. Eight replied almost immediately with, There is an organic module that, I surmise, contains the basic personality to be downloaded into the waiting constructs when they are complete. I surmise because I myself cannot read this. Where is it? Bella demanded. Look for an opaque black tube on the right side of the console. It appears from my end that these can be changed out for other organic modules, perhaps to serve other purposes. They can't always be building soldiers. Sooner or later the toilets back up, she muttered. Bull, do you see what he's talking about? Here, Bull said, and gripped one of a series of cylinders that lined the side of the console. Data sticks. What are you suggesting, Eight? We just yanked them all out? I cannot read them. Bella might be able to. They are organic, pattern brains, for lack of a better comparison. While she reads them, I will try to find a shutdown. The one actively being used as the master model should be more awake than the others. It's worth a try, Bella said, and ran her hands over the series of cylinders before stopping at one. She closed her eyes in concentration, sticking a little bit of her tongue out of the left corner of her mouth. My readings show several potential energy junctions that may be compromised. Overloading several at once should initiate a chain reaction that will result in an effective self-destruct, Eight said after a moment. The difficulty will be in getting them to overload them simultaneously. This will require some disassembly of the console. I would suggest... Bella gasped. No, wait, she exclaimed. Wait, I've got a better idea. I know that look, Bulwark said. You're being brilliant, aren't you? <laughs> like you wouldn't believe, Bella chuckled, and gripped one of the cylinders. Take notes, tall, dark, and waterproof. If we live through this, I'm going to use this as leverage to win every argument we have for years. Vix, get up. Vix, seriously, we need to go. Vicky would have loved to be able to scrub the tears out of her eyes with the back of her hand, but the back of her hand was covered by a chainmail glove. She settled for closing her eyes hard and shaking her head like a wet dog while simultaneously rolling over onto her hands and knees and shoving herself up. And cursing in Hungarian, Romani, and Russian. As she managed to get to her feet, she lost her balance and staggered into red. My life is a tragic comedy. Sorry, she mumbled, 
looking up at him. Yeah, got to go. Bella and Bull are making their play and we should back them. We've got another problem, Red said, shaking his head. Vicky reached up and touched his face. His real face, unblemished and perfect, marveling how it looked just as she always imagined it would. Red paused and smiled at her, his words forgotten. She snatched her hand back and cursed. Sorry, she said again. Problem? Red grimaced, growled something about the goddamn universe and its timing, and finally exhaled. Right, he said, nodding. Problem, just the usual. End of world stuff and just about... He glanced behind him at the monitors and back again. Ten minutes. Wait, what? You're serious? The words for intercourse in six languages, and three positions, erupted out of her mouth. Explain. Hurry. Tunneling missile, Red replied. Heads to Earth's core. Boom, bye bye Earth. They're arming it and probably getting ready to leave once it's away. We've got ten minutes until it's ready to launch, and I don't think we've got anything that can stop it once it's going. It'll take a little while to get to the core, but it's a world-ender, and you can bet they plan to be long gone before then. Vicky stared at him. Can we stop the launch? she asked. I have no idea, Red replied. Definitely not from here. Any hope we've got, it'll be in the blast room itself. You know where this thing is, you lead, she said. I can still hack my way through almost anything that gets between us and it. Tire iron is still sharp, just not that sharp. It's far below us. We'll have to take one of the access tubes and add a full-speed descent. Red appraised Vicky's chainmail. That's going to throw up some sparks. You got a way to cut out the friction? Yeah, I can renew the silence on this stuff and make it slippery. Nostalgia hit her for a moment, as she remembered learning just those spells, things a combat mage had to know, unless he planned to do without armor altogether. She was going to say, give me a sec, but that wasn't in the cards. Right. We're moving. Vicky yelped as Red picked her up before she could react and darted from the room, seemingly taking lefts and rights in the corridors outside at random. He held her like she weighed next to nothing, despite the full suit of armor. He was stronger, that much was obvious. He seemed bigger, too, and if she was not mistaken, faster. His balance and reflexes were off the charts. Even at this incredible speed, Vicky barely felt herself bounce in his arms and she cast her spells uninterrupted. And somehow managing to do so with the monumental distraction of what was, or rather wasn't, covering red at the moment. Clothing, to be precise. Not that I'm complaining, Vicky said cautiously. But shouldn't you be wearing, uh, pants for this? Kinda lost them during the split, Red grunted. Just as well they would just get in the way. I'm going to need every bit of exposure for what's coming. Why, what's com- Vicky yipped as they came to an abrupt stop, and Red set her down gently. He turned to the wall, reared back, and delivered a massive punch at the paneling. Vicky was shocked to see his fist actually seem to grow, to darken just before it hit, and the shock waves from the impact sent her stumbling back. There was a hole where a maintenance portal must have been, revealing what she'd been calling a Jeffrey's tube behind it, and a sharp ringing sound echoed out of it as the hatch he'd punched in fell into the darkness. 
Give me ten seconds, then jump after me, Red said. Don't try to break. Trust me. He turned away, seemed to get taller and slimmer. There was a sudden scent like you'd smell right at the beach of the ocean. Vicky gasped as she watched something shiny, glistening, like a film of colorless oil or something similar, start to coat red skin. What did she do to you? Vicky breathed. Red turned back to her and shrugged. She applied the pressure, he said. Turns out the rest was me. Something woke up. This is me, fully realized, if you choose to believe her. I think I do. At that point, she really didn't have any reason to lie. He glanced back at the opening, turned back and nodded to her. Ten seconds. Don't keep me waiting. He leapt into the hole, and she couldn't hear anything. His descent was eerily silent. Vicky counted to ten and leapt after him. The tube was at a steep angle, 70 or 80 degrees, utterly dark inside. She was descending so fast it was almost freefall, sliding on a thin layer of something slick and slimy. Had Red left that behind? Atavistic fear of falling clutched her gut, but she couldn't have slowed down now even if her life had depended on it. There was a light below her, dim and gray, but glowing brighter and brighter before she was ready for it, she flew out of the bottom of the tube and landed with a bounce on an enormous, genie-shaped pillow. A small head lifted itself out of the spongy flesh and grinned at her. So, it turns out I can morph a lot more than just my skin now, he said. Um, obviously, Vicky said. The situation was so... Weird. It totally distracted her for a moment from the urgent need to get to that missile. This was red, and it wasn't. And it was. A red that was a sort of giant thing like uncooked dough, dense but with the pliancy of soft foam. When she tried to sit up, she just sank. And she felt hyper-aware of where the skin of her cheek was touching his. Then she was more than hyper-aware as she felt power, magic energy, flowing from where her skin touched his. And just at that moment, one of the crystals in her belt pouches flared and went... Whatever was going on here, she had to get control of it before he drained reserves they might desperately need later. Remembering her brief experiment with a waterbed, she rolled off him and landed on the floor with her feet tucked under, allowing her to rise quickly. You're leeching magic, Vicky exclaimed. Is that where these new abilities are coming from? I don't think so. It doesn't feel the same, he said before taking a deep breath. He exhaled slowly, and Vicky watched in wonder as he shrank back down to his normal size. Red lay a hand gently on his own chest, which had been cradling Vicky just moments before. Something's up, though. This spot does feel a little warm. She practically stuck her face in his chest. Her eyes crossed a little as she stared at the spot with mage sight. Ah, you're right. It's more like a side effect. It's fading now. Jesus, you're still a magic conduit, though I suppose you're more of a sponge now. Maybe you always were, just you didn't have much in the way of storage capacity. 
she looked closer, letting the equation spin out in front of her eyes. There's something magical here. There's a residue of sorts like you were caught in some eldritch... backlash. Explosion? Well, not a big one, but big enough to affect you. The dispersion pattern suggests it triggered something. You mean like a catalyst? She nodded. Exactly. Maybe she was telling the truth. Just how much can you... And then Eight said, politely in her ear, Vicky, bomb. The bomb, she yelped. Where? Due north, you seem to have landed in an adjoining hub. Look for the blast doors. Vicky scanned her surroundings. They had landed in a vaulted intersection, crisscrossed by eight wide and semicircular corridors. Her HUD pointed north, and sure enough, one of the corridors ended on a brightly lit and reinforced portal. She got to her feet and cocked her head towards it. Think you can punch your way through that? No need, Red answered, taking her hand in his as they sprinted towards the blast doors. He rapped lightly on his head with his knuckles. I'll still have remnants of her in here. I know the bypass codes. Vicky started to respond and bit her lip. There was no reason to get in that sorry topic now. They stopped at the doors. Red flipped up an access panel and tapped something out on what must have been a keypad, although in keeping with Thulean tech, the digits were glowing orange glyphs arranged in a pattern of 3223. Three. The doors slid open silently. And whatever he was about to say, he bit off. Because standing between them and what Vicky presumed was their goal was the most imposing, most terrifying thing she had ever seen, including the Death Spheres and the Nazi Dragons. She spat out the name and heard Red curse under his breath. Baron. The Master was in her full battle armor, battle armor that nothing the CCCP had been able to muster had so much as scuffed, save for Chug. Vicky had been there and had personally helped overwatch that fight, and she cringed, remembering how this frighteningly lithe creature had torn Chug's arm from his body and destroyed Rusalka as an afterthought, and shrugged off not just one, but all of the special incendiary grenades that CCCP had thrown at them, and had not even noticed the combined punches of Savior's energy beams and Old Bear's plasma cannons. Maybe Sarah and J.M. could have taken Baron on, but Sarah and J.M. were gone. Vicky froze as Baron slowly tilted her head forward to look down on them. Next to this mountain, Vicky felt very, very small. I was promised a challenge, Baron said, and shook her head in disappointment. And I was expecting an army. If I let you live, will you bring me an army? I thirst, and I doubt your blood will quench it in the least. If you want to play, you might want to go out in the yard, Red suggested. Sun's out, there's fresh air, and we brought enough firepower to beat even you into the dirt. Tempting, Baron sighed. But I cannot, at least for the moment. My duty denies my departure just yet. I must see our parting gift off before I enter the fray. You know we can't let that happen, Vicky said, drawing her weapons. Your needs are irrelevant, Baron shrugged. You cannot hope to defeat me. I doubt your efforts would even entertain.
Oh, I don't know, Red replied. We might surprise you. Baron glared at him and then chuckled. She drew herself up to her full height and opened her arms in invitation. Very well. Surprise me. Go, Red shouted, darting right as Vicky dove to the left. Splitting up was the only chance they had for at least one of them to outflank her, to get to the doomsday device and somehow disable it before it launched its payload. But as fast as they were, Baron was faster. With a contemptuous flick of her head, she fired a burst of heat from her visor, slamming Red back into the wall. He collapsed, his body sizzling with heavy burns. Baron stepped lightly to her right and leveled a heavy kick at Vicky. Vicky cursed and ducked into a roll, landing gracefully on her feet before leaping back. She felt a rush of air as Baron's claws whistled over her head. Disappointing, Baron purred. This will not take long at all. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.